want to see Bible? Oh, that was not bad for first thing on a New Year's morning here. Hey, it's a new year. Are you excited? I am. I am. I'm always excited. I'm excited each morning I get up. Usually I don't know why, but I am. Anyhow, this morning we're going to talk about life a little bit. And uh, I'm going to be a little more personal than I normally would be in a sermon, so bear with me. Um, and try to set our minds kind of for the new, new year. Whoever said that life is full of surprises was right on the mark. Any of us who've lived any length of time know that that's true. For example, you're driving your car. You got a plan for the day. Everything's in place. All of a sudden, clunk. By the time you get to a uh, filling station, you find out that the thing is beyond repair. Your budget's in shambles. What do you do? Been there? Yeah, sure we have. Or you're working, you lift over to the side and you lift something and you feel something pop. Instantly you're incapacitated. Been there? Or you're playing for Ohio State <laughs> and you're a place kicker and you've hit two field goals and extra points and you line up for the biggest moment of your life and you shank a gimme field goal. That poor kid, no one's ever going to remember him for anything but that. That's so sad. Uh, poor Dave, by the way. By the way, Dave, if you're watching out there online, I, you have my sympathies. <laughs> He's an OSU fan, by the way. Or you wake up and you're getting dressed and all of a sudden you feel a tightness in your chest and you have shortness of breath, you're sweating. All of a sudden, next thing you know, you're on your way to the hospital with a heart attack. Or... You get a note in your pay stub that your plant's closing the next week. Or far worse, your spouse, you notice, has been distant, and all of a sudden, one day they say, we need to talk. They tell you, I'm done, I'm out of here. Or by far the worst, you learn that a loved one has died. Oh man, in all these and many more instances, you, life as you have known it is forever changed. The Apostle Paul had such a life-transforming incident in his own life. And I want to get your, if you're following along in your Bible, we're going to go to Philippians chapter 3. We'll, we'll actually put the slides up here for most of it. Then we'll go to Acts 9, and then we'll go to Matthew 6. But Philippians 3 is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. Here's a young man in Israel who has everything going his way. He is riding high, literally. He's bright, he's educated, he's got power, the leadership's looking to him, everything's good with Apostle Paul. And he's defending himself later to people who said they thought they were something. Philippians chapter three, verses four through six says, if anyone else has, thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel the tribe of Benjamin, which was historically a good tribe in Israel, a Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning he was, had pure lineage, as to the law, a Pharisee, Jesus' worst enemies, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and get this, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. 
He was such a good rule follower, no one could point out any, any inadequacies. This guy was something, and he knew it. But, you know, turn to Acts chapter 9, or just listen, I'm gonna, I'll read it here. He was about to have a real come-to-Jesus moment. But Saul, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way or Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he went on the way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, which was his name at the time, why are you persecuting me? said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Can you imagine how he must have felt at that point? Whoa. Uh, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. For three days he was out without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. So here he is literally on his high horse riding into Jerusalem with all the authority of the chief priest in Jerusalem. All of a sudden, wham. Talk about a 180-degree turn. Now there was a disciple of Damascus named Ananias. He said to him in a vision, Ananias said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise, go to the street called Straight to the house of Judas and look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. He has seen in a vision that a man named Ananias come and lay his hands on him so he might receive his sight. Ananias answered, Lord, whoa, I've heard many things about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And, here, and, he, he, and he has the authority of the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. The Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake, sake of my name. I really can't think of anyone who had a more dramatic turnabout in his life than the Apostle Paul. But all those things he bragged about in Philippians 3, 4 through 6, look how he feels about them later. His life, with his life changed forever, look what he says in verses 7 through 11. But whatever gain I had, I counted for loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Now, take note of that. He was, one of the things he bragged about was his righteousness according to the law. He was faultless. Now he says, I don't want that anymore. That's nothing. That's rubbish. But on the other hand, that righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death, that by any means I might attain resurrection from the dead. Wow. Well, Life is full of changes, friends. I was looking back over my own life. I said, I'm getting a little personal this morning, but in 2004, thereabouts, 
I had one of the worst two-week periods in my life. Now, I had just retired as pastor here four years before that. I know leading up to that time period, I had to preach several weeks in a row. And I remember thinking, man, that's good. I, I like doing that. That's, I got the satisfaction doing that because it had been a while since I'd done so. I remember we had a new youth pastor named Josh Wyland. And I went to supper right before that with he and his young family and two of his three brothers. Everything seemed so right with them. I had no idea that my life was about to take an expected turn. Then, wham. I don't know how to say it, but wham. In a two-week period, all three of our children had life-altering experiences. And the guilt that I suffered and the second guessing about the job I had done as a father just absolutely pressed hard on my chest. And one at the worst moment of the worst time and all of that, I found myself in the front yard of our home, all alone, looking up the sky, yelling at God, why? To my shame. And during this two-week period, also a series of events came together. I found myself assuming the position of interim pastor at Wallace Dee Community Bible Church. The deal was, with the leadership, I would pray about whether to return to the position of lead pastor, and the congregation would commit to paying off the debt we had on the building. Within two years, they had done so. I'm well aware that a triple whammy like this is really nothing compared to what some have had to endure in life. I really am. But everyone's experiencing, I guess it's only as deep as what you know. And this was a case in point for me. It shook me to the core and reminded me of some things. I want to share three thoughts this morning. First, we are instructed to make the most of every day. We are instructed to make them, as God's children, as those born again, we are called by God to make the most of every day. None of us are promised tomorrow, friends. We all know that, but we live as if we have a lot of time promised to us. This is not what scripture teaches. James says in James 4.14, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. The psalmist agrees in Psalm 103, 15 through 16. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone and the place remembers it no more. Now I said I was gonna turn to Matthew chapter six. If you want to, you can do that. I'm gonna, uh, the verses are gonna be in for you. Jesus goes into detail about making the most of every day. It says in verse 25 of chapter six, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now as Americans, we really don't have to worry about that at all yet, but yet we do, don't we? We're some of the few people in the history of mankind that really haven't had to worry about what we'll eat or what we'll wear. But we do. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of life? 
I think of my poor dear mother growing up. She had a lot of pressures on her. She fretted and worried and anxious and worried and worried and worried and worried and worried. She's 90 and it still hasn't added a lower to her life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow's thrown into the oven, how will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Now look at verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Look at verse 33 again. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, believe in Jesus for salvation. When that happens, our righteousness is no longer an issue. We receive or we have given to us or imputed into our eternal accounts the very righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. If any of us are ever gonna stand before God, that's the only righteousness that we'll stand in. Now, Read, let's read, I'll get back to that in just a second. We're supposed to seek first that and all these things, food, clothing, the necessities of life. Look at verses, Philippians 3 and verses 10 through 12. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means I might attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on. I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ Jesus has made me his own. You see, Jesus instructed us to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, telling us that nothing really matters for eternity until we enter into salvation, until we have the saving relationship with him. I mean, we do, there's lots of good people, lots of good deeds doing people who are not believers in Jesus, and it does good for society. But in terms of heaven, nothing matters until we know Jesus. We have his righteousness. And with that salvation becomes God's provision, provision beyond anything this life has to offer. The apostle Paul, having had this dramatic conversion wanted to know Christ deeply and intimately. He wanted to grow in his faith. He wanted to make the most of every moment of time. That's why verse 12 in the middle, he says, I press on. I love it. I love that phrase. It tells us like Paul, we're to struggle, to press on in pursuit of a deeper relationship and a deeper service of his Savior, of our Savior. In his sovereignty, Christ Jesus took hold of us or made us his own when he called us and justified us. Our becoming like Christ is called sanctification and is a process that goes on throughout our entire life. We are to press on making the most of every day because today is the only one we are guaranteed. 
It's true. None of us knows really if we're going to even make it home today. We probably will, but we don't know that. It brings me to my second thought. Only God and his word are unchanging. Only God and his word are unchanging. Now think about it, friends. Our homes, they change. Our jobs, our relationships, our looks. Think Tammy would have wanted anything to do with me if she was still 18? No, they do, but you go, fortunately, we grow old together, right? I mean, it's just, they're going to change. Financial fortunes, the government, the environment, whatever, these are all subject to change on any given day. I don't know, we don't like to think about it, but it's true. Only God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the revelation of himself through his word are are not subject to change. And theologically, this is an attribute known as immutability. He does not change. A while back, Tammy and I had the privilege of of hosting Pastor Joab Lahara when he was here, a missionary. That was one of the richest experiences I've had in my life. And like many things in my Christian walk, when Josh asked me, do I, I thought, oh yeah, sure. Man, what a privilege that was. You think about this man. He was, grew up as a man in eastern India, a young boy. His father, he had a relative amount of privilege because his father was chief or leader of their tribe, which was nestled in a valley between some mountains there. Well, one day a missionary from Canada came and he started talking about Jesus to his dad. His dad told his family, why do I, told this man, why do I want Hindus and Hinduism has millions of gods? Why do I need a God from Canada? The missionary is persistent. The first real dramatic change that came in Joab's life was one day he looked out the window of his house. He saw his dad, the missionary, and an interpreter kneeling on the ground. He was praying to receive Jesus as his savior. As a result of that, he was ousted as a leader and they were ostracized from the tribe. They couldn't buy at the stores, but he kept at it. He and this guy, they went around and all the neighboring tribes that he was kind of the overarching leader for all came to Christ. But Joab was still not saved and as a senior, as a senior, I don't know, as a, in a high school or equivalent of our high school, he was sick and dying. There's no question he was dying of malaria. For three weeks he was so weak he couldn't even get out of bed without someone actually lifting him out. He said he remembered one time looking over a windowsill and saw a little pamphlet that that Christian missionary had left. And he read it and he says, if you will pray and ask me for forgiveness, I will forgive your sin and heal heal your diseases. Said somehow, miraculously, he was able to muster the strength to get out of bed and go to one knee and pray to be forgiven. No, pray to be healed. He forgot to pray to be forgiven. He got back into bed. He said, well, I forgot that. Got out, went back and prayed to be forgiven too. So guess what? In a week or two, he was 100% better. He went on, got his degree at university in journalism. 
And he was given an assignment to go contract a tri- contact a tribe in the mountains that, had, that had migrated there from East Africa a thousand years before. Supposed to make contact with them. He and his people went. They made their contact. They were getting ready to leave, and the people surrounding them weren't going to let them leave. They were threatening them. They wanted food. They wanted money. Finally, he talked his way out of it by saying, I've got money back at my house. I'll return. Well, they let him go. And he got to thinking that would not get out of his mind that he'd made a promise to return. So he went to his boss, handed in the assignment that he was given, the article about the mountain tribe, and said, I'm quitting. Had no idea what he was going to do next. Went home, told his wife, and miraculously, she supported him. Well, since 1986, Joab's ministry has planted over 1,200 churches 1,200. We've been in existence since 1986. As a congregation, we've had the privilege of building one of those churches, building one of the orphanages. He operates over 20 orphanages. And we just sent money to build a second one. And you know what? It's so cool because Joab is such a humble man. His, his ministry has its own university. It has its own seminary. He's a, he's a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary, has a doctorate from there, has written many books. I didn't know any of this stuff till I sat with him across our dining room table after Tammy had gone to bed in the nights till he finally just said, I got to go to bed. But you know what impressed me most about Joab? Not his many accomplishments, which certainly were impressive, but I could not square sitting there at the table speaking to this small, apparently insignificant, humble man. You would never guess he did anything special. And, and his faith, his simple faith that God will continue to provide. And he believes this to the point that he has never taken any salary out of his ministry. Whatever he gets is what he from people is what he lives off of. And that's interesting because for years we've been sending a donation every month to his ministry. He's never taken any of that. Well, one would think that it's a person who has borne this much fruit for the God's kingdom would be blessed by God in many tangible ways. And I'm sure that Joab would say that he has been. However, Joab has had the horror of seeing two of his three children die I think, why? Why would that be? I quizzed him. I said, Joab, did you ever struggle with God over that? Did you question God? He goes, no, no. He said, he admitted that his sorrow was profound, but he never questioned two things. He knew, first of all, he'd see the children again in heaven. And he also knew that God always had a plan and a purpose. He never doubted that God and his promises are unchanging. This brings me to my third point. God always provides for his children. God always provides for his children. Now we all believe this, right? Raise your hand if you believe that God provides for his children. 
Now, if you're like me, you don't live that way though, right? We fret, we worry, we scheme. That's the truth though, God. And you know, at the ripe old age of 70 though, I do have an advantage over most of you. I can look back over my life and see God's hand at work. You know, as I look back, there were four major upheavals in my life. And they all came suddenly, they all came unexpectedly. They're not anything nearly as bad as what life can bring, but they were of the, you know, pit in your stomach, can't sleep, what am I gonna do type things. Two, the middle two came was I was a, when I was a pastor. And you know, pastors cannot have a bad day. Matter of fact, I'm gonna talk about pastors for a little bit, since neither of our pastors are here today. I'd do it even if they were, but you know, to be an effective pastor, you have to have a tender, soft, or empathetic heart. I mean, how can you come along someone and learn of their needs and share with them and comfort them unless you have a tender, empathetic heart? However, tender, empathetic hearts are also hurt very easily. We need to remember that when we're dealing with our pastors. Um, right now, friends, January 1st, 2023, our church is more unified, more peaceful, more loving, more on the same page than any time in our history. And I've been here through it all. And I praise God in the highest for that. Now, it's not always been that way, and it may not be, God forbid, always be that way in the future. Our pastors are good men who truly love us and try to serve us, as do our support staff. You need to know that being a pastor is lonely. You wouldn't think so, because it's a very public position. But people always want to, only want to get so close to the pastor. It's really hard to have a true friend as it. And you know what's even lonelier? Being a pastor's wife. You know, I'll, I'll just make a suggestion. Sometime when you get around Josh or Dave and you have a moment, go a little deeper and say, how are you really doing? And listen, listen. Be very slow to counter with, an own, with a story of your own. Um, you know, actually I have a better idea than that. We all know someone, every single one of us knows someone who's hurting today, who's feeling lonely, who's feeling left out, probably carrying something. We need to come close to them, maybe take them out to lunch, visit with them, but some point, just ask them, how are you really doing? And listen. Listen, ask questions, be empathetic, pray with them. And if you're gonna share a story of your own, be sure it's later in the conversation. Why am I so passionate about this? Well, for one thing, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ as a command from Galatians 6.2 for us. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
I have to admit that why I'm so passionate about this is I hide all my hurts. Always have. I rarely pull back the curtain and speak about them. And why is this? Well, for me, it's a simple equation. It's a lot easier to deal with the hurt privately than it is to open yourself up and talk to someone and have them blow you off or instantly reply with a story of their own, which is, of course, much worse. I'll give you two examples in my life, just two examples. I really want you to understand this. I think it's very important as we deal with other people. I'm sorry, I'm up here talking like a grandpa today, but I am. I think you need to hear some of this. The first example, one time about, and it's no one from this church, so don't try to figure out who I'm talking about. Um, I had something that really got me down. I just couldn't get over it. Tammy can always sniff it out when I'm that way, and she said, why don't you talk to someone? Uh, that never does any good. Finally, I did. I, I got up the courage. I went and talked to an individual. Told him, I'm really hurting. What's the problem? I started telling the, what it was. Before I even got my story told, he cut me off and said, oh, well, let me tell you, and went into a story of his own. I told myself that day I would never do that again. That was not only angering, it was humiliating. Be careful about that. I know it's our natural inclination, but don't do that. At least not till later in the conversation. Well, there's a second one. About a year and a half ago, I had some that kind of slugged me in the gut. Again, Tammy said, why don't you go talk to someone? Eh, I don't want to do that. But I was out to eat breakfast one morning and I was, the person I was with sensed something was wrong, started asking me questions. I told him I was hurting, told him why. He asked me questions about it. He empathized with me. He prayed with me. And you know what else? A day or two later, he called me up and wanted to know how I was doing. If you're out there, Dave Winters, thank you for that. But that's how you do it. I'm going to have to rethink my not pulling back the veil on my hurts after that. Friends, life is marked by change. You know, Tammy and I have often discussed in our 50 years together, not one major thing in our family and our life together has gone the way we thought it would go. But looking back... We can see God's hand in every step of it. And in every step, it was better than what we thought was gonna happen. I can tell you that absolutely right now. My younger years, I knew God takes care of his children. Now that I'm older, I'm certainly, this has moved from my head to my heart. He really does. Listen, Psalm 103, which I absolutely love. The Lord is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, praise God, that's me, or repay us according to our iniquities. 
For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he remove our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And Hebrews 13, five, God promises, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Friends, never is a long time. God always provides for his children. Never seen it to fail. Well, you know what? I praise God for the love and cooperation in our congregation right now. But you know, these facts alone make us a target for Satan. You think, ooh, yeah. He does not want us to be unified and walking in one step and of one mind. Because people get saved when that happens. People grow in faith when that happens. Should we worry about it? Absolutely not. We have the promise in 1 John 4, 4, he who is in you is greater than he is in the world. Or greater is he that is in you than he is in the world, whatever version that is. How much greater? You know that bright light we have in the sky sometimes in Indiana? (laughs) It's called our sun. Do you realize that our sun produces or consumes 600 billion tons of matter every single second. 600 billion, so 1,001, 600 billion, 1,002, 1.2 trillion, 1,003, 2.4 trillion, and so on. And that every second produces enough energy that would last the entire Earth for 13 billion years. Now I want to ask you, how did that sun get set in the heavens and start to burn? Our God, our heavenly Father said, let there be light. It's a good thing God is gracious because I would be really mad if people know that and still worry and fret and don't give him to do him. Well, We should all be asking ourselves at this point, what now? Where do we go from here? What will 2023 bring? How can I be an active part in the next chapter in the history of WCBC? I hope you're all asking yourself that. Listen, we've seen a lot of sports this weekend, haven't we? We've all been spectators. In the church, the body of Christ, you you don't want spectators. I mean, that's better than not having spectators. If that's all you are, not much is going to happen. You need to get in the game. Get in the game. You want to know how you can get in the game? Talk to that little blonde bombshell that was up here earlier. <laughs> she runs about half the ministries in the church organizing them. Little things like greeting, nursery. Oh, goodness, I'm going to, if I start trying to name them, but there's just a myriad of things. Really, if this is your church, get busy with something. One thing I've observed over the decades, the people who are actively involved in ministry are invariably the happier people. And the grumpy ones are usually the spectators. That's just the truth. If that offends you, I'm sorry, but that's what I've observed over all these years. Get in the game. 
We need to be mindful of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14. Not that I've already attained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus has made me his own. His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind, that's gone, friends. There's nothing we can do about it. Forget it. Move on. Straining toward what lies ahead, I press on. I press on for the goal, for the pro- toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Will we press on? Of course we will. Question is, just to what degree? I'm ready. I think we're ready, and I'm excited. Why? I'll give you three reasons. Only God and his word are unchanging. God always provides for his children, and we are to make the most of every day. And I believe that's what we're going to choose to do. May God bless his word. Let's pray.